and welcome to this episode of Drug Target Reviews podcast, sponsored by Solistic. I'm your host, Izzy Wood, the editorial assistant at Drug Target Review, and this episode is the second part of our series, Cell Talk, a comprehensive guide to next-gen cell therapy. Today, I'm joined with Taylor Mixedes. Hi, I'm Taylor, editor of Drug Target Review. In this episode, we'll be discussing allogeneic cell therapies and their impact on the immune system. Thanks, Taylor. Also bringing us the expertise today are Andy Holt, the CCO at Solistic, and Dr. Tracy Lodi, the CSO at Quell Therapeutics. So I'm excited to begin our discussion, but before we do, I think it'll be great to hear a bit more about your background. So Andy, if we start with you, please can you introduce yourself? Thank you. My name is Andy Holt. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for Solistic, a business that we started a little over a year and a half ago to help really drive allogeneic cell therapies forward. So this, this topic obviously is near and dear to our hearts uh, here at Solistic. By personal background, I was a pretty bad molecular biologist for a very short amount of time before working on the commercial side of mainly manufacturing ventures. So the groups that tend to take therapeutic concepts and scale them up and out into the clinic and, and beyond. My focus personally has, has largely been in cell and gene therapies, although I spent some time in, in monoclonal antibody production, small molecule production as well. So it's always a real privilege to get to work with companies who need support in converting that sort of therapeutic concept into something that can, can really impact patients. And so that's where I found myself a lot and, and really get excited to work with groups like uh, like Tracy and Quell if the opportunity presents itself. Great. Thank you, Andy. And over to you, Tracy. Great. Thank you very much for the invite. And it's really exciting um, to talk with you today. I'm Tracy Lodi, so I'm CSO at Quell. And at Quell, we work on multimodular Treg therapeutics. And our first platform and foray into the disease area in transplant disease and autoimmune disease is in autologous therapies. But we have, um, as most of you may know, a collaboration with Solistic and work closely with Andy and his team in developing stem cells for the future therapeutic applications of allogeneic cells in this area. And a bit about me personally, I'm an immunologist by training, have over 20 years in biotech and large pharma and have worked in the area of um, rare diseases, um, niche autoimmune diseases, and, and developing large molecules, small molecules, and the latter half of my career in um, cell therapies. And always enjoyed kind of merging the aspect of, of new biology into areas of where cell therapies can really, you know, bring novel solutions to patients where, um, normal drugs and, and biologics have, you know, failed. So it's, it's a really exciting field that we're on um, cutting edge now and, you know, excited to talk to you guys about it today. Great. Thank you both. So today we're defining allogeneic cell therapy as the administration of cells to a patient for therapeutic use that were not initially taken from that patient. So if we get into today's conversation by outlining the purpose of these immune cells and what is their fundamental role in the body's defense when fighting diseases. Yeah, sure, sure. I can answer that. And um, the immune system probably to the layperson is a very complex system made up of multiple cells, right? But really, if, if you think about it, the immune system was built really to ward off infection and, and keep diseases such as, uh, you know, cancer and autoimmune disease in check. And sometimes these systems go awry in signaling. And really what we're doing is, is, is harnessing the actual novel, you know, and intended use of these cells and then using them for treatment. 
So what you can think of in terms of like two arms of the immune system, um, the innate immune system, which are, you know, macrophages and K cells, those are really there for our first line defense against infection. They recognize if someone has a cut or a wound and K cells recognize if a cell gets infected with a cancer. And really their goal is to go seek out this and destroy this. But the the limitations of those cells are, is they're short-lived, they're the first responders, and you're not going to get an antigenic response or memory response or a long-lived response, which is really what we need if we're talking about dampening down autoimmunity, more chronic diseases, and treating cancer. So it's really the second arm of the immune system or the T cells and B cells that are able to do that. And really, B cells are the autoimmune um, and antibody-producing cells of the immune system, which we won't really address today, but T cells really are the cells that really have shown promise in being able to harness from patients or or from donor material and engineer them so that they can be directed to either target a cancer cell and kill them, or is in the situation of quell, what we're doing is actually isolating a different type of T cell, which is called a T regulatory cell, which actually has different function and its function to suppress the immune system. And these cells sometimes become, you know, lower in abundance and also dysregulated and not able to function as well in autoimmunity. So therefore patients aren't able to suppress those responses that normally you and I wouldn't have if we didn't have an autoimmune disease, we wouldn't be recognizing some self-antigens and reacting to them and then having our own T cells react against our own body. So T regulatory cells are a newer type of cell that we're harnessing in the same fashion in order to use these to suppress autoimmune disease. And then we can talk later about specifically how we're engineering these. But Quell is actually looking for these in an autologous manner. And our first indication is really to prevent transplant rejection. And how do immune cells identify and differentiate between healthy cells and those associated with diseases? Yeah, it's a great question. As I spoke about those early responder, kind of the invader cells, um, macrophages and NK cells are recognize, you know, receptors on the cell surface, which are changed when either the cells become infected with a virus, the cells become infected with a tumor, they'll recognize either a downregulation of those receptors or some novel, you know, marker on the cell surface that's expressed by the cancer cell becoming, you know, infecting the cell and and proliferating, you know, in in an uncontrolled manner. And and they survey and can recognize this through receptors. T cells as well can recognize aberrant cells and, and, you know, oncology cells through their own, you know, antigen recognition through the T cell receptor and react to those cells. But sometimes because the cancer cells have such potent proliferation ability so they can expand uncontrollably, it overwhelms the immune system. So what we're really trying to do is take cells that are normally geared to attack those cells and keep that in check and give more of them by taking them out of the patient, expanding them up, and then engineering them with a receptor on them that will be like a beacon homing when it goes into the patient and will recognize that unique receptor 
on the cancer cells so that they will attack that. But intrinsically, they're made to recognize by different cell surface receptors what's the difference between self and non-self, what's different between infected and non-infected, and what's different between healthy and malignant. And we're just, you know, taking advantage of that natural recognition and, and further engineering the cells when we deliver them back into the patients. Great. Thanks, Tracy. Andy, have you got anything to add? No, I think Tracy's done an excellent job of uh, summarizing 120 years of immunotherapy research into about six minutes. You know, the first time something like this was tried, right, was actually before 1900 in cancer. And the pace of knowledge and and discovery, like I said, I don't think you can get a better four-minute tour of fundamental science and cutting-edge technology than, than what Tracy gives, and uh, and certainly not by me. So no, I like I said, I'm, I'm here to listen and learn as much as y'all are. Great, thank you. So Tracy, you've already touched a bit on the specific roles of T-cells, but could we go into a bit more detail about the specificity of different types of immune cells like B-cells, T-cells, macrophages, and natural killer cells when combating disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Now, there, and, and there are many companies, um, I won't want to paint the picture that it's a T-cell-centric um, th- therapy that's going out there that treat because there have been many advances done with macrophages in terms of regenerative medicine and also NK cells in terms of oncology. So if I start with macrophages, um, their innate properties really are to be phagocytic. They're the phagocytic cells of the immune system. They really kind of come in and mop up when either there's inflammation going on, tissue remodeling going on from damage, or there's, you know, a lot of inflammation going on from autoimmune disease, infection, viral infection, macrophages come in and they're needed to come in, right? Because they have to clean up the damage so that the normal tissue can remodel and, you know, repair itself. So really taking advantage of, you know, what macrophages have done. Some companies actually, Charisma in particular, have made CAR macrophages in which they're putting and engineering a um, receptor on there, a chimeric antigen receptor, and we'll get into more of that in a minute, in which it recognizes a whole host of tumor antigens. And one of the most common ones is HER2, which is very prevalent in breast cancer. And they're utilizing taking advantage of the patient's own macrophages, which I think I said in the beginning have the advantages that they don't need to be matched to the patient because they, they you don't need to HLA match these patients. So if you put them in across, you know, allergenic patients, meaning you get macrophages from a donor, put them into another patient, they won't be acutely rejected. They'll recognize then that cancer and hopefully use their phagocytic abilities to kill them and cytotoxic like granules that they release, different from T cells, but that they'll kill them. And advantage is that you don't have to match them. You can use one source potentially and then use across multiple patients. Disadvantage is they're fundamentally innate cells. They don't respond to antigen unless you engineer them. They do not have a memory response. So if that antigen comes back, that cancer comes back, that disease comes back, they're not going to have a memory response and come back and be more specific, such as T cells will. So potentially you would need to redose these cells or just use them in an acute setting in which they would kill the infection or the cancer cell. Same with NK cells. NK cells as well 
really are the cancer surveillance cells of the immune system. So when there's a malignancy, they'll recognize a change in the receptor. They'll automatically kill that cell. They'll recognize cell from non-self, and they'll do this in a cytotoxic manner. And different from T-cells, NK-cells also do not need to be matched across HLA types, and they won't be overtly rejected if you're using one NK-cell donor into another patient. And there actually has been a lot of advances using engineered NK-cells in the field of heme malignancies, such as AML. And that's really where they've proven that they've been able to get in there really quickly, kind of just expand to fill the niches and be able to kill those cells if you engineer them with a receptor that recognizes that cancer. Similar to macrophages, they do not persist. They do not have an antigen-specific recognition. They do not have a memory response. So again, persistence has been a real issue, which is why the field with both of those have not really been able to get into solid tumors. And people have kind of overcome this by putting extra factors onto the cells and different cytokines and growth factors to get the cells to persist. But there's advantages and disadvantages of using these. The advantages are you don't need to match them and you can use them in acute situations. The disadvantages, the persistence has been called into question and they don't have a memory response. So if something happens and the patient relapses again, it requires an additional dosing of those cells to the patient to treat the same cancer again. Thanks, Tracy. The words autologous and allogeneic aren't easy to pronounce, let alone understand, but they are really important concepts in cell therapy. Can you explain the differences and why you would look at one or the other as the right fit for making a cell therapy? Yeah, sure. Very important um, distinction. And I probably throw the terms around assuming everybody understands, but autologous is what we're referring to as patient's own material. So for example, you would take, you know, the cells from leukophoresis material isolated from that patient, grow them up, expand them up and give them back to that patient. So it's a very specific patient-specific therapy. So one expansion of those cells, and it's only good for that patient. So that's an autologous source. If I gave my cells to you or you gave your cells to me, they would be rejected. Allogeneic is then you're using a donor source, and there's different donor sources that we, we can get into. The donor source can be an adult cell from blood, can be adult cell from bone marrow, from cord blood, from stem cell transplant, donor cell, and that be be given to a different person. So that's considered allogeneic. So the limitations of that are, is that you need to match across what's called the major histocompatibility complex on the T cells that they're compatible with the donor that you're deriving those allo cells from with the recipient patient that's receiving them. In order for them to engraft and in order for them for the immune system of the patient not to recognize the graft, because otherwise what you get is called graft versus host disease, which is an autoimmune reaction which become very serious and life-threatening in which the patient's immune system rejects the transplant, whether it be a stem cell transplant or peripheral blood transplant, if it's from a donor. 
So ways of getting around this that we're working on with Solistic is really looking at A, a stem cell source. So you have a donor, so you're not limited to how many cells that you can generate from the specific patient. Because remember, a lot of these patients either have autoimmune disease, they're on other medications. In the case of oncology, they've been heavily pretreated with oncology agents. And so it makes their um, cells difficult to expand and difficult to get enough to give back. So you take away all of those limitations of autologous cell therapies when you're talking about donor and aloe, but then sometimes people don't have a match. So then the hope is that working with stem cells to actually derive then differentiate those cells into the cell type that we want, say, for example, T cells, then there's some genetic manipulation that you can do to make them allogeneic. So when people refer to allogeneic or universal cells, they're utilizing um, gene editing techniques to uh, remove on the surface of the cells, receptors such as MHC class one and class two that I spoke about, which causes immune recognition. So that's one way to create an allogeneic cell and then use that across for multiple patients. The second part of the question was, when would you use one versus the other? Everyone has really started in the field, and as Andy said, you know, a long time ago, really using autologous. It's proven to be safe. There's less of a regulatory hurdle and in situations in which there's, you know, heme malignancies, blood malignancies, you know, autologous cells have shown that you can harvest them from patients, you can expand them and deliver them back and have an effect in which the patients then will go into um, remission. And certainly in in transplant situations in which you want to um, get patients off of some of the really limiting, you know, anti-rejection medicines that they're on, which they're providing protection for their organ so that it doesn't become rejected. But long-term, these patients have an outcome similar to malignancies in terms of what these anti-rejection drugs do in, in terms of long-term usage, in terms of liver damage, kidney damage, and high risk of developing malignancies. So the goal is really have the patients keep their organ and keep their graft without having them on these really um, bad anti-rejection meds that cause all these negative side effects. So in this case, we're using autologous therapies. It's it's, in patients that have stable transplants. They've proven that we can actually harvest the cells, expand the cells, and deliver them in a time frame in which is enough time for them to then wean them off their medications. And the oncology situation is the same really in terms of ALL with all of the the CD19 CAR-Ts and AML with NK cells. And we're going to go into some autoimmune diseases which have very high unmet needs, such as juvenile type 1 diabetes, some refractory um, IBD indications. But really, when you get into larger, more mainstream, really large indications, autoimmunities, such as rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, in which there's a number of biologics that are available to patients, but they have side effects or they eventually become resistant and refractory to those you have to treat potentially um, for chronic lifetime treatment of these patients, you would potentially need multiple doses. 
and cells would be limiting. So this isn't a case where you would potentially want to move to an allogeneic therapy. And I think this might be a good um, spot for Andy to interject in terms of the manufacturing cost difference, which we haven't covered, between autologous and allogeneic therapy. And obviously, autologous therapies are are very expensive to manufacture because it's not to scale. It's from one donor, which is that patient, to that patient, very specialized, whereas you start to have a master cell bank of a donor cell, whether it be an adult donor or a stem cell product, and then the cost of goods and the amount of patients that you're able to treat become very, very different. I don't know if you want to comment on that, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to provide my uh, my perspective there. I think, you know, autologous is a really, really promising modality and, and the results that have been achieved there are amazing, but it's limited because you really can't scale autologous up. You can only scale it out. You can only do the same unit operation over and over and over and over again. There really aren't any efficiencies to be gained, you know, no uh, no assembly line, no giant batch of materials to make at a time. You really have to craft each therapy for each person, which is part of why they've been so impactful and so effective. But it does mean that there's a lot of labor and logistics and very time-sensitive operations that are happening there in very, very delicate environments. And so you end up with very expensive therapeutics. On the allogeneic side, I think there's real potential, and certainly Solistic exists to, to create and then disseminate this potential, to move to a more you know large-batch, well-characterized modality for allogeneic, where we can take a, a single donation uh, from a patient or from a person and expand that into thousands or tens of thousands of doses. Um, those efficiencies of scale, just to, to make a lot all at once, is perhaps a little bit of an oversimplification, but I think the conclusion there is really easy to see that making more therapeutics in a single batch uh, is, is going to give huge cost advantages. I mean, tenfold or, or more cost advantages over autologous. And it's just linked, you know, not so much to the science, but just to the mechanisms of how these therapeutics are made. Great. Thank you both. So stem cells are another one of those terms that perhaps isn't that well understood. Are all cell therapies considered stem cell therapies? And what should we be thinking about when we hear a therapy that uses stem cells? Yeah, that's also a very good um, distinction. So not all cell therapies are stem cell therapies, first off, because not all of the cells that are engineered that we're talking about um, derive from a stem cell. So first, maybe let me take a step back and explain what a stem cell is. So a stem cell really is the progenitor cells in your body, right? So think think of them in terms of it will, if we'll take the manufacturing um, analogy that Anna just spoke of, think of them as the raw materials in the body, right? So, so these are the starting material that actually are able to expand and then uniquely differentiate into all cells of the body, all of the differentiated cells of the body. So you have a blood stem cell that will be able to make all of the cells of the red blood cell lineage, all of the cells of the immune system, and then you have different stem cells, you know, and and what you're really looking for in terms of you know, hematopoietic stem cell transplant is, is one of those cells that is a really early progenitor cell that will be able to go into the recipient and differentiate and engraft and turn into all the blood cells that will recapitulate their immune system. So that's what you can think of as a stem cell. 
the immune cells that we're talking about and have been talking about B cells, macrophages, NK cells, T cells are all further differentiated down an immune cell lineage from a stem cell. So those are cell therapies that are using more differentiated cells. The difference is, in theory, a stem cell has unlimited potential to proliferate and survive, whereas a differentiated cell whether it be a macrophage, an NK cell, a T cell, has a finite lifespan because it's already differentiated into the tissue and into the functional cell that it is, basically. So that's the difference. There's some therapies in which you want a a stem cell to be used. There's some therapies in which already the differentiated parent cell, such as a T cell, is good for use. Stem cell treat all of those indications in which you need to replace all of the blood systems of the of the body and you need you need to give the patient really high doses of chemo to get rid of their cancer wipes out all of their cells so you need to replace that so you need to go in with a stem cell transplant whereas if you're talking about a specialized CAR T you know, therapy against a very specific cancer, you can use a very specialized T cell that's already differentiated to do that. And they'll last, you know, about three weeks and you hope that some of them expand in the patient, but it's still a finite expansion. And then the other distinction is, which we can get into, which is, you know, really solistics expertise, which is called an induced pluripotent stem cell, which is actually starting with a cell that's not a stem cell, such as a kidney cell or a renal cell, and you're able to reprogram that cell by using very specialized transcription factors and other factors that reprogram the genetic machinery of that cell. So it de-differentiates. So it goes back in differentiation and becomes a stem cell. And then those cells become pluripotent, but we've artificially made them stem cells. So they're called induced pluripotent stem cells, iPSCs. And then at that point, that cell can be instructed, you know, ex vivo in a dish to become different cell types, depending on what you want to engineer. And iPSCs have been very easily now differentiated into CD8 cells for CAR T therapy, into NK cells, into macrophages. And one of really the difficult missing pieces in biology is getting those cells to move into a T regulatory cell, which is that different subset of T cells that I spoke about that have suppressive ability. And that's really where Quell and, and Solistic are really targeting our joint efforts in biology and, and creating that type of cell. So that's an iPSC stem cell when you hear people talking about those and using those for therapy. That's the starting material, and you differentiate them into the cell, immune cell type of choice that you want. And we hear a lot about CAR T and those sorts of revolutionary cancer treatments and cell therapy derived from immune cells. Can you give a quick overview, Tracy, of the kinds of cells these therapies are made from and why they are good targets for turning into therapies? Yeah, for sure. And and these are the most common, you know, um, cell therapies as, as you're talking about. And generally, the CAR T cells are, are made from T cells. The majority well, actually, all of the approved therapies on the market are made from a T effector cell type. So this is a mature T cell, which has the ability to kill 
a um, cancer cell, a, a kill a cell that it comes in contact with when it recognizes the receptor. So basically it's, you know, similar procedure as I've been outlining, but you isolate those cells from the patient, you expand them up, you engineer them. Usually what everybody does is lentivirus. So you, you take advantage of viral transduction of your genetic material that you want to put into those cells. So ultimately it actually expresses a receptor, which is called a CAR, and that stands for a chimeric antigen receptor. The extracellular part of that recognizes the antigen, which is expressed on your tumor cell, and the intracellular part of that construct provides the signaling mechanism. So you're doing two things to the cell. You're providing an antigen for it so that when it goes in the patient, it can home and it can find that cancer cell. When that binds, then it signals that receptor so that the cells expand, the cells get activated, and the cells kill that cancer cell. And those are really CAR-Ts. What Quell is making is a CAR-T reg, very similar in premise to what what you do. You isolate the cells from the patient, but you isolate T regulatory cells in this case, you engineer them with the same viral construct. And then depending on the antigen you want on the cell surface, either recognizes, in our case, you know, something in the liver to home to that liver transplant graft that I spoke about, or something in the pancreas for treating type 1 diabetic patients or something in the gut for treating IBD patients. And it homes in and provides that antigen um, recognition for the T cell and then the signaling for activation for survival and activation of that cell. And in that case, that cell suppresses. And really, we're hoping it suppresses autoimmune disease in the case of, you know, treating type 1 and IBD. In the case of preventing transplant rejection, we're hoping that it provides a local tolerance and suppresses the patient cells that will come in and try to reject that organ once we remove the anti-transplant medication. So most all what you hear about a CAR-T are autologous. There are those that are made with iPSCs, as I just spoke about, and they've made from an iPSC source, an aloe, and then they make these aloe by genetically editing off recognition receptors on that cell so it's not recognized by the patient that you're giving it to. But same principle, most of them have been used to treat B-cell malignancies. CD19 marker is a very common one in a B-cell malignancy that has been treated also acute lymphocytic leukemia and engineered and engineered on. So the source can either be an adult T-cell or a stem cell differentiated into an adult T cell, and then it's engineered with the car. Great, thank you. And um, to the layperson, cancer and the immune system don't seem closely related. There's stronger association with diseases like Crohn's or allergies or organ rejection. How do those two topics intersect? And are developers working on immune cells as therapies for immune diseases too? I guess it's not to the lay person intuitively obvious between cancer and autoimmunity, but they're really closely linked, right? In cancer, you want to kill the cells by a certain mechanism, but in autoimmunity, you just want to dampen the the immune system down and not necessarily like kill those cells. So really by studying both, you know, you can tip the mechanisms that are going on and and the pathways that are going on to fine tune the T cells to treat both. So a lot of companies now 
are realizing that CAR-Ts that I spoke about, CD19 CAR-Ts, which are used for B-cell malignancies, there's plenty of B-cell autoimmune diseases that you could use those cells for. So for example, lupus, myasthenia gravis, pemphigus, all of some of these autoimmune diseases that are involved and have autoreactive B cells making abundant amount of autoreactive antibodies, you can target those with a CAR T that has an antigen on there to recognize the B cells as well in autoimmunity as you can in, in cancer. There's a fine line, you know, in terms of safety because it's not going to recognize the difference between a normal B-cell and an autoimmune B-cell. It's going to kill everything. So dose and safety become, you know, some important factors as these therapies play out in the clinic. But for sure, companies are now beginning to see the value of using some of these CAR-T therapies, both in cancer and in autoimmune disease. To me, this is the sort of topic that really requires an expert like Tracy to help us unpack, right? Because when we have the immune system itself, which serves to protect us and to guard against all sorts of potential pathogens and and threats. When that immune system itself goes a little bit off the rails and you have uh, cancers of the immune system, so you then use immune cells to attack immune cancers is, is kind of a fascinating topic. And then, of course, then to engineer these immune cells to help modulate the immune system. In some cases, to turn that immune system down in the case of organ rejection or to help it correct itself in, in areas of autoimmune disease like diabetes or Crohn's. It's a really fascinating landscape and, and where we see uh, a lot of potential that frankly is, is very challenging to reach with autologous therapeutics is in these larger indications. The idea that, that we could address diabetes as a, you know, as something more than an insulin shot is really compelling and exciting, but there is just so much science to understand and unpack to be able to even understand the disease well enough, let alone the way uh, you could potentially approach it with an immune therapeutic. And then I think we're in an age, I'll just add on, that's great, Andy, and I think we're in an age that we have all of the molecular tools, which we didn't have like 10, 15 years ago. So now we've added on this understanding of biology in really sensitive methods of putting these receptors on the cells with CRISPR-Cas9, like editing and, and knocking out very specific genes and knocking out receptors in a gene so you can actually provide combination therapies with cells and, and different antibody therapeutics. So combined, you know, to where the molecular, you know, understanding and in, in the techniques have really become mainstream and have been in the clinic now with patients receiving edited cells or in vivo editing cells really just opens up the field of cell therapy to different indications where it was impossible, you know, 10 years ago. So it, it's, it's really an exciting space right now that's continuing to evolve. Definitely. And I think that's a good point to maybe wrap up our conversation today. So I'll put this question out to both of you. So where do you think this is all going to go in the future? And do you think there is a cell therapy answer to every disease? You know, I think that's a really interesting question. Is there a cell therapy answer to every disease is, is maybe one way to put it to me. I think the interesting question may be, you know, should there be a cell therapy answer to every disease? And, and that one's easier for me to say that I hope not. 
the, the complexity of these therapeutics, the complexity of the diseases we're trying to address with them leads to cost and leads to challenges in understanding what's actually going on. You know, frankly, if you could develop a small molecule or a pill to, to treat a disease, you should probably develop a small molecule or a pill because that's a much easier answer, but in some ways, an easier answer to, to an easier question. So I think where we want to go, where we're excited to see this go for Solistic is to be able to look at a broader menu of options for therapeutic developers, a broader menu of potential answers that lead to provisional therapeutics and, and a better understanding of these diseases by trying to treat them with really complex cell therapies, as an example. And ideally, uh, simplification from there, a simplification in costs and in the regulatory structures around these so we can move faster and be more effective in reaching patients. And then eventually, a, a potentially better understanding of the disease itself so that we can develop simpler therapeutics to address it. So in the same way that I don't think that allogeneic cell therapy totally replaces autologous in the future. And in the same way that, you know, monoclonal antibodies haven't replaced small molecules, I think it's a spectrum of solutions. And we want to push the boundaries of the, of the breadth of that spectrum as much as possible so that for things where cell therapy has to be the answer, that there is an answer. And for other things, maybe it's a, maybe it's a more iterative process. Either way, it's, it's just a fascinating and super exciting time to be a part of it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, of course, cell therapy is not going to be the answer for everything, but there's more complex diseases out there than there are simple ones, right? So, of course, if someone has type 1 diabetes, you can give them insulin and you can stabilize their blood glucose, but you're not doing anything to address the underlying nature of the disease or the underlying attack on the beta cells in the pancreas to actually what's causing that lack of insulin in the first place. So that's where we hope the cell therapies can come in place. And we haven't really spoken about this and there's not going to be time to do it for this podcast, but we're only talking about the immune arm of cell therapies to control when something is going arise, either with cancer or something is going arise with the patient's own cell and they're attacking themselves with autoimmunity. But that's only one arm of it. You, then you want to say like, okay, how can we replace that damaged tissue that's gone with regenerative medicine and making, you know, new beta cells or, you know, making new, such as Blue Rock is doing, making new dopaminergic neurons for patients that have Parkinson's disease that have lost or patients that have traumatic injury or stroke. So there's a whole other aspect of regenerative medicine field that's growing that I think will continue to grow the cell therapies, which has been hampered by the fact of not being able to use allo cells because of rejected, not being able to use, you know, autologous cells for the different, you know, reasons that we already spoke about. But now that we are making advances with allo cells in the immune space, I think it will help the regenerative medicine space as well. So we hope that there's a whole host of diseases out there that truly have unmet need that we can address, you know, with these cell therapies. Great. Thank you both. So I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this discussion, but please join me in thanking Andy and Tracy for joining me today and for this thought-provoking conversation. It's been fantastic speaking with you both and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Drug Target Reviews podcast sponsored by Solistic. I've been Izzy Wood, the editorial assistant at Drug Target Review. And I've been Taylor McStees, editor at Drug Target Review. Make sure to keep an eye out for the next and final episode of our cell therapy series.